You're listening to The Artin's Team, a podcast by FAM designers on how art and design intersect with science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Art has been a crucial element in many STEAM fields, from the aesthetics of architecture to the visualization of complex scientific data. This podcast celebrates the artistry in STEAM and highlights the critical role it plays in shaping our world through women's unique voices and journeys and their innovative work. We will also discuss how art and design can be used to communicate scientific concepts, spark creativity and innovation, and encourage young people to pursue careers in STEAM. Each episode features a member of our collective of artists, scientists, technologists, and educators who all share a passion for designing a better tomorrow. This is the Art in Steam. Hello, humans, thinkers, doers, makers, creators of our futures. Hope you're having a good week so far. You're listening to the Art in Steam, and I'm your host, Noor. Good to have you with us. Bioart. As I utter the word, I can't help but see Eduardo Cac's 1998 genetically modified fluorescent green glowing rabbit, Alba. Alba is an example of bioart that made a difference in society and tech innovation. Bioart is a rapidly evolving field that merges biology, technology, and art to create thought-provoking works that challenge our perceptions of life, identity, and the human condition. It has the potential to stir debates about emerging scientific technologies and drive innovation in the field of genetic engineering. So where should we draw the line between what's utopic and what's dystopic in the evolution in science and biotechnology? How can we use bioart to communicate scientific ideas to a broader audience and encourage public engagement with science? What is the potential of bioart to inspire new ways of thinking? These questions are pertinent in our next guest's artwork with whom I will be discussing the fascinating world of bioart. Naomi Sula is an emerging designer, artist and researcher whose interdisciplinary work explores the future of biotechnology, biology and the human body, such as the ethical and moral implications and the boundaries existing between art, science and life itself. Through life sciences, creative storytelling, and design, Noemi's artwork instigates discourse on the bioethics and biopolitics of emerging biotechnologies and current genetics research. Noemi is also a design research assistant at Lab for Living, Faculty of Science, Technology, and Art at Hallam Sheffield University. She is the recipient of the Leonardo Rebooted Grant for the Arts and Science Project Synthetic Biology and has exhibited her work in multiple venues across Europe. Welcome, Noemi. Thank you for being with us today. That's a great intro about my work. That's fantastic. Thank you. So as you say, I'm Noemi and uh, I'm a research assistant at Lab for Living, which is um, a research cluster that is actually uh, looking at crossover between health and design and practices that are more creative so we could have a better future. So there is already this 
embedded in my practice as well of how can we design this better future together. So yeah, thanks, Noor. How do you work on your projects uh, that are personal, that are uh, creative and sometimes exhibition kind of work um, and then work on the lab works uh, at the university? How do you separate those two? Uh, it's quite hard to separate those two because, you know, it's it's a bit alienating if you can't manage to find the the point where they can both meet and, and work together. So most of the time I'm trying to develop the research with the lab and see, you know, how I can implement that within academics, but at the same time have an impact on communities and having a really face-to-face -face with the public to, to see the work. So it's not only within academics. So that's also a strength, I think, that the lab appreciate for me is that this ability to navigate in different formats and not necessarily stay to the very simple academic paper. I mean, simple, very hard, actually. But <laughs> yeah, they're, they're trying to encourage me to go um, and develop those projects. So it's not that separate, but it's still about, you know, navigating this in a very simple and straightforward way by engaging both at the same time. What would you say drove you to become interested in, in bio art and creating in this field? What is the most concerning bit for you about the way, you know, biotech is growing and its potential? I'll answer your question in two parts because I've trained in science before going to design, but very quickly. So I was quite young when I decided to just go into design and and change career in a way um, because I saw that there was potential in design and, and that humanistic and human approach towards science that could be very powerful. So I think that was the first shift on saying that science as it is now um, I can't feel myself in it so that's why mm -hmm. I kind of dropped biology on the way and then I think the pressing issues of looking at those biotechnology was really to do with ethics that was my first you know main interest as well as I grew to know those technology and and how they developed so there was this question of how do we relate to those as humans, but how does it change our relationship with the ecology and the environment we live in? So I think there is potential to fix, but there is also potential to break this link with nature. So there's a very careful consideration. And I think with my work, I want to encourage people to think about this relationship so we don't jump too fast or if we just don't miss this, you know, root that we have in in you know we are just a bunch of mm -hmm. cells that live we are all or beyond which we, we just you know need to consider that back so i think that's more the poetic part of bringing us back together within our biology and our nature but also bringing back that ethical consideration we are thinking uh, creatures so we need to think about our impact and i think that's very important That's beautiful. And what kind of responses do you get from your work when you exhibit it? Let's say like raw vif uh, that was, um, you know, 
you were looking into growing organs in labs and that's already you know a big thought provoking question to put a um these kinds of examples in front of people you know what is what is the body what is human mm -hmm. what is not human uh where do we draw that line and um can you maybe um give a, a couple of anecdotes on what you know how people reacted or what kind of conversations if any uh there were uh, in reactions to that yeah i think the <laughs> the funniest part is like they are most of the people are quite fascinated but also disgust this is this quite interesting crossover of feeling of being attracted to something because it looks very strange but familiar but horrible but you know it's this kind of layer of feelings that you have you know people making faces like oh what's that like really disgust and other moments where they are really fascinated or like how do you get that lots of question of how did you know did you know someone are you a scientist so they There is curiosity and disgust all together, and it's about knowing how to, you know, navigate that as well as an artist, because, you know, I want to create emotion in people. I don't control what emotion I'm going to create, but there is something about being, that's the concept of uh, Noel Carroll, which is a philosopher um, that wrote The Paradox of the Earth, and he says people look for being heart horrified, so they are horrified but in an artistic way. So they are um, looking at how this could, you know, bring them emotion without leaving the thing. I think there's this very powerful, it, it brings back fiction in it, where because it's to make believe, then it's a bit different. It's It makes them have the emotion without being into the reality. And so they can think and have time. So I think there is this, Um, important point in having debates beforehand, like especially within um, ethical debates, is very important to to ask questions before the technology is there because we don't grow organs yet uh, fully into a petri dish, but we do grow, grow some cells and we can 3D print and they can be embedded into 3D print. So there is, you know, I just extrapolated something that we are working on. I mean, we humans are working on, but, you know, it's it's a thin line. It's a thin line. It's like our imagination can grow so much faster than than what is possible. And so that's where we start talking about dystopia and, and utopia. Like what if, oh my God, we can grow cells. What if we could grow a whole human? <laughs> what if we could grow an arm? Uh, and in some cases, it might be useful. Definitely, there is this health potential in, in that technology, but there is this risk of, you know, Marie Shelley coming to it and Frankenstein and, and you know, those questions were already there two centuries ago about what does it mean to create a human? Can we be... Is, there is a notion of can we be God as well in a certain way? How, how much control do we have uh, over our body? Should we have that control? Like, it's a bit, you know, lots of questions that, I don't have really answer to them, but it's about actually asking those questions more than finding answers at the moment. Or at least it's my role. Someone else will find the question. Yes, <laughs> maybe. There might be many answers. Exactly. And that relates to a previous podcast, which uh, we've recorded as well, that was around climate change. 
around you know humans that um, have been uh, playing God basically by exploiting nature and abusing of uh, their entitlement. And so will nature fight back? And in this case, might it fight back um, if we go too far in biotech? Exactly. There is always a warning on what can we do and what can't we do. And you have a, a most recent project, which was uh, last year, uh, Mythical Living Data, an inquiry into the future of DNA as data storage. That was the full title. Um, and you explored uh, polyons in our environments and how it affects skin microbiome, basically our DNA. So what learnings would you say uh, in the conversations came out of of that? Um, and how how are the reactions of, uh, you know, looking at this as a reality, but a fiction, um, that dichotomy? What I really wanted with that project is to bring the awareness of the impact of pollutant on us. Because like, I think there is an awareness of it, but there is rarely measures that we don't really know how much uh, air pollution kills people. Like, it's, it's really... Mm uncertain and what are really the health issues related to them because it's very spreaded and so many people are um, affected by those pollution that it became a kind of new normal so I think there is this kind of notion of we will we grow in environment we are not we are porous being and we're gonna you know affect our own body anyway so it was very an extrapolation of that thought and also the notion of um, chimera, so these uh, beings that have different DNA within them, so multiple mm. DNA. So, what are that? So they they're called chimeras. So they mm. are so biologically a chimera is, is a being with two or more DNA within their body. So it could be micro chimera. Is there is many different appellation but it's not necessarily naturally occurring except in certain pregnancies so there is you know notion of that chimera which is also a mythical creature so which I found really interesting to connect as we we are just if we extrapolate DNA it's just a bunch of biological data within our body that dictates and then um, how we look or how we think and how we became human or not or plants so so you get two of those in one human it's rarely occurring naturally yeah. so it's it's not that but there were some cases where um they tested i think on the on a child to know if there was you know parentality link between it was during a trial don't remember which one but the the kid DNA was not matching nor the mother nor the father, and they realized that he, the DNA of his blood was slightly different from the DNA of his other cells on the body. So wow. they kind of found two different karyotypes within that person, and I think they found some of that in women that carried boys or so women that got pregnant of men. 
they will have sometimes some cells of the pregnancies ro roaming around the body. So in a way, we carry many, and it, it's. I'm I'm also thinking of how we are carrying so many cells that are not ours. You know, so many bacterias. Um, I think the notion of being cannot be limited to what's our DNA. So I think that was also about that in that project. Um, but the main focus was to bring to life those potential scenario where um, our microbiome is able to resist and become kind of bioremediation tools um, to fight against pollutants. So how we can encapsulate microplastic, how we can degrade them. There is already bacteria that exist and do that. For example, Idenola sakaiensis that is that was found in Japan, I think, in a recycling factory. And this bacteria thrives in plastic. It's really happy. <laughs> so, and with, you know, horizontal gene transfer and all that, you know, biological mechanism uh, between bacteria where they can exchange uh, genes and so resistance to, antibio to bi antibiotics, for example, we know really well that mechanism. We can imagine that this um, bacteria could give it to our... Um, skin flora so for example um, staphylococcus wow. epidermis so there is like there is a bit of a root in science but it's a lot of imagination that I'm bringing because oh, a lot of time will need to go <laughs> before we're there <laughs> we tend to think that we are individuals and it sounds like we're more uh, aligned to the mindset of everything is connected not just uh, uh, you know intellectually, but physically. Mm. Um, if we've got microbes from other things and other people and other entities that are connected to us, uh, we might be fighting some. Uh, I mm. guess with your idea of the protection against uh, your pollutants, that would be great. Um, and we do have some parts of our bodies that protect us like you know hair mm. in our noses and our ears and all of that is a mechanism it's fascinating to finally think of ourselves as connected to everything and see how the environment affects us our well-being and how we can um, live in harmony i guess <laughs> yeah i think that notion of living in harmony and and sometimes i use the notion of inter identity so this identity between two being even between two humans the fact that during a pandemic we exchanged a lot of virus um, even though we were confined we cannot live separated and I think that was also what came out after that pandemic is like we also need that exchange of bacteria and germs we also need because it's social I think there is like the biosocial link of pandemic that we are social beings we, we we also live with other creatures so um, I think that notion of inter identity was already born when I was developing um, raw avif because there is this notion of if I am my my daughters and the kids that I've carried but I'm also my parents because they gave me DNA and then who am I and also if I am more the bacteria in my gut than 
I am the cell in my brain, then who thinks? Like, you know, it's very a lot about decentralizing and also moving this kind of unique thinking. You know, it's, it's much more holistic. I think that there's this notion of mm-hmm. stopping that separation uh, at core. That's probably my belief that we are part of the environment and our bodies and environment. Like there is a rainforest under our arm. There is a desert on our... Like It's like we are also on earth on ourselves. And I think it helps relate to others and, and bring very important values like altruism, being kind, being careful that I think are really important notion and they are in removing that centralistic uh, identity. Absolutely. Let's talk about what's next. You've got becoming Futakuchi owner. Uh, And I'd like to hear more about what that is, if you can explain the story around it. I'm still fascinating about myths and, and how they have biological origin. So I came across that myth, which is a Japanese myth of Futakuchi Ona. So Futakuchi means two mouth and Ona means woman. So it's the story of that woman that have two mouths. Uh, one in on the face like everybody, but the second one is at the back of her neck, at the airline of her hair. And that woman is actually cursed because her husband is very greedy. And so the greediness of her husband created that curse on her where to survive, she needs to grow that mouth so she can eat and kind of fight that greediness. So this really inspired me because I was like, wow, this is a biological function that is really altered by a curse, by a myth. And it is a myth and it's a story and it's a fiction and it's very powerful because the message across is, you know, very about fighting greediness, about, you know, finding a way to survive, um, to to eat, you know, this kind of feeding the soul, feeding the body. So from there, I really wanted to use that figure and really investigate more about, you know, how would how could we become her? How can we grow a second mouth? Is that even possible? So pushing that to actually represent women in STEM and STEM industry and being able to, you know, have our voice heard. And, you know, that's also why we are part of that collective. Um, We need two mouths. Exactly. (laughs) One to speak, one to eat and one to fight. You know, it's like that was very inspiring. And also the origin of the myth comes from the region of um, Fukushima, and we all remember the nuclear accident that happened 12 years ago. So I'm very interested in exploring those links as well of, you know, how how can we mutate, how, how this mutation can happen and not be a myth anymore. It's not that I want it to happen, but it's, Is you it know, exploring that. to have two mouths? <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it's a different system. Why is it feeding what kind of you know mechanism will come in? So I think it's a bigger question of like what does it mean to change form and shape? Are we still human? Because in Japanese myth, when you're cursed or you become a kind of demon or a yokai, so you're not human anymore. So what does it mean to be human? And it's still about that question um, indirectly with that project questioning where is the boundary and is if there is any you know so 
yeah, shape-shifting and all of that. <laughs> that Utakuchi Ona myth made me think of uh, Stellark's uh, fascination with post-evolutionary architecture of the body, who had uh, one of his performances um, embedded or implanted an, another ear, a third ear in his arm. And I wondered if there were similar kind of mythical <laughs> attributions to, to that. Yeah, I think Sterlach work was also something that inspired me in my studies and this kind of transhumanism movement. There is something about transcending the humanity, which is also a way to reconnect back to our roots as humans. And and I don't know any myth about a third year to listen, or no, I don't know, but um, maybe something I should look into. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there is many myths that are, you know, about body alteration and that, you know, that might be rooted also in history of medical cases as well. I'm very curious to see how they were rooted into actually observation that, that was done in the past. So, you know, sometimes we need to look back in the past to be able to foresee mm -hmm. the future and learn from what happened. Uh, but yeah, there is definitely some transhumanism connection between my work and, and that movement. So, yeah. So we're nearing the end of our chat. And I wanted to ask, uh, what kind of advice uh, would you give to someone, also young girls uh, and young women, who would be interested in exploring bio art as a medium uh, for their own creative expression? I think there is this tendency to overthink or think that you need to be trained as a biologist or being very knowledgeable to be able to start thinking. And I think you need to not forget that imagination is the first tool that made scientists curious to look into, you know, biology, physics. So cultivate that curiosity, look for things that interest uh, that interest you that makes you that makes you motivated and energetic you know at the end is is about that energy because that's that's the drive that's what will lead you to very interesting places meeting interesting people connected and create projects that have impact because you can't do all on your own so you can't own the knowledge you can't own the creation and everything so really is about going for it and just mm -hmm. uh, connecting with others. I think that is very important. Well, thank you so much. BioArt continues to raise a lot of questions and we've learned today about the notion of uh, inter-identity and we've asked questions about what is human. Imagination is definitely uh, the place that is driving uh, innovation in science and tech. And so... Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story and your unique voice. Thank you, Honor. Thank you for having me. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Do spread the love by sharing this link with your friends and colleagues. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be inspired, learn something new, and imagine a better future. If you would like to get involved with the Fam Designers community by hosting exhibitions, joining our podcast, moderating panel discussions, partnering with us, or sharing your work for review, 
get in touch at contact at famdesigners.com or visit our website at www.famdesigners.com. Let's design a better tomorrow for everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Art in Steam 